Right, we're here at uh, Woodbury House over in Soho. I've got Mimboso, the wellness company, with us. So thank you again for your support. I've got a gentleman next to me that I don't feel I need to introduce. You probably recognise him. If, you, if you're anything like me and my family, I always have Sunday brunch on. Um, Tim, thank you. Thank Pleasure. you for coming on my podcast. Um, as I mentioned to you earlier, we have a wellness company called Mimboso and we're starting a wellness community. Um, we're just going through our first round of fundraising, which is really, really exciting. So I like to interview anyone's got a story to do with success, some challenges, their background, that kind of thing. And because I've got to meet you, I've met you before via yeah. Schooner the Artist, I thought it was only right that I'll reach out to you and try and get you on on the podcast so thank you for your time I didn't know you were getting funding I, you, I didn't know I was getting paid <laughs> <laughs> just just let me know your bank details yeah alright <laughs> so um, obviously I want to talk to you about uh, the TV stuff but before I talk about today how did you what was it like going through school where did you start your background and things just a normal bloke at school really uh, I didn't really like it that much um, thought the lessons were boring loved football just played a lot of football. And actually, we played a lot of basketball at my school. Right. Kind of the 80s and basketball just, sort of, <laughs> for some bizarre reason, come to Britain. It seems to, it seems to come and, and never work and then, and then come back again, you know. And it's, but anyway, we were playing a lot of basketball, a lot of football. And, uh, and then I left school as soon as I could, really, and went to, went to college. Yeah, and then went to college and then it didn't really work out. So, yeah, uh normal normal sort of student I, you know, I'm a bit older so in those days not everyone was clamouring to get to university it was not that many people did people in a college and polytechnics and things like that so yeah it was a bit different in those days cool so how did you um, how did you sort of find yourself on TV because I was listening to your podcast earlier and I think you said you've been on TV now for like 22 23 years yeah um, well I've been working in TV for maybe nearly 25 but been on actual TV for probably 22 23 Though, what happened was I ended up just, because I didn't have much of an education, I ended up, I, I suppose when I was at school, I was thought of as one of those kids who wasn't smart. So you go through life thinking you're not that smart. And then I ended up working in clothes shops. I ended up then doing that typical sort of 90s thing of going, from late 80s, 90s, whatever it was, going, I'm going to make money out of finance. So I ended up becoming a mortgage broker and stuff. And I just hated it all. Yeah, I just I like the clothes shop by the way. I enjoyed that, but there's no money in it, and I was like, God, this isn't a career for me. So uh, I then had to make a decision what to do, and I thought, okay, well I can talk, and uh, when I get myself on telly. So then I just tried really hard to get myself on TV, and I did. Ooh. <laughs> that it's, was it. It's like knock. It must be a little bit. I'm, I mean, my background is sales. I, I have a sales company now. I've been in sales since I was about 19 years of age. Before then, I was a plumber, but that's another story. Um, and sales, the old, the old sort of uh, training is you've got to knock on loads of doors, get loads of no's before you get that yes. And that one yes can turn into something great. Is it like that trying to well, get on is TV? It's interesting because I tried sales in finance and I hated it. I hated every minute of it. And I'm not a good salesperson. I know that there's that program on White Gold. I quite like that with um, James Buckley. Have you seen it? I haven't. It's, like no. a, a sitcom. it's quite funny because that was the age where I sort of grew up where people were like, I'm brilliant at selling. Oh, yeah, give me something. I'll sell. I'll sell. Yeah, we're going to make most money. So we all went into it. But I was crap. I didn't want to sell. I didn't, I didn't like it. However, I don't think I was good at selling myself, but I was persistent. 
I did stuff which was, <clears throat> I look back now and I think is embarrassing, but you had to go the extra yard that everybody else was going to go. So I just, that thing, I just used to make loads of showreels of myself. Back in those days, you had to carry a camera. You had to hire a man with a camera. There wasn't a smartphone. And you had to hire a sound guy. And then you couldn't edit it on your Mac. You had to go and hire some um, edit facilities and get someone to do it. So, so it was an expensive business. And I, I used to work at night in bars or stuff, you know, and I used to work for free in TV as well and get enough money to, to do a show reel. Um, and then I used to make campaigns about myself and send it round to all the producers in TV. When I actually started working in TV, people used to come up and laugh at me and go, hey, you're the guy who used to send all the stuff out all the time. Though you, you had to be persistent, but there is, there is that bit of luck that I think everybody needs. And uh, it was the boom time of TV. So the channels were expanding. There was, you know, Channel 4 had come along. Channel 5 was happening. I think it was the Mirror Group had live TV, which was happening. Sky, Sky had come along. Uh, cable had decided to appear and disappear, I suppose. And right. so there was lots of boom time in the, in the industry and they had to fill up the channels. So, so right place, right time, really. Yeah, I've got a, I wouldn't say he's a friend. He's someone that, um, he was a bit older than me, went to the same school as me. I went to a, a school called Langley Park. Uh, for boys over in Kent, I don't know if you know it. But going back to a point you actually said earlier, my school didn't play football, which is really weird. They only played hockey and rugby, wow. and it was only it was because the um, the owner, or let's say the the headmaster, he he frowned upon football when he thought that rugby was a more gen gentleman sport. So I was forced to play that. But anyway, I'm digressing again. This guy, do you he, think you'd a bit of contender then if you'd played football? Well, do you know what? I, I always wanted to do some kind of sport. Yeah. Um, as a profession, I was never that good, but I always wanted in my heart to do it. So whether that would be football or boxing, boxing I do today, I'm not quite a, as good as a, a professional, but I would. See, I was half decent at football and I was half decent at basketball. And I went in the Olympics to watch handball. And I thought, do you know what? If we'd had handball in this country, yeah, I reckon that would have been me. That's I a reckon, cool sport. I reckon. And I don't know why there isn't more people playing handball. It's, I mean, in Scandinavia, it's huge. Yeah. It looks, it looks such an exciting game to play. Yeah. Like lobbing the ball around and running and, because they get airtime and they hold for the last minute and then they, <laughs> I loved it. And, and you've got, got to be super fit. Yeah. It's just a great, yeah. It shuttles up and down. Yeah. Up and down. It's kind of a mixture of basketball and football. Anyway, go on, your mate. So yeah, he's a few years older than me. He really wanted to get into finance and in, into banking and he was getting turned down. One job after the other said, nope, 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 nope. And he found out, well, someone said to him, it's not what you know, it's who you know. They said, have a different approach with one of the banks. So write to them, have a completely different message to the narrative that you've been going down. So he wrote to one bank and said, look, I would be prepared to work for the bank for free for a year or two just to get work experience. And if you think I'm valuable at that point, please hire me. Literally, after that one message, a bank phoned him up and said, you can come and work for us. And now he's doing really well. So going back to the point with you. How's he doing really well? Are you talking financially or mentally? Because I, I think it's a tough job just trying to make money. I think financially he's doing well. I think he was kind of always had the personality of being in that sector. He's quite like bullish. He's quite, um, I don't want to say aggressive, but he's quite, he knows what he wants basically. And I think he suits that. But I think the lesson I got from him even though he didn't tell me directly for a, for a mutual friend, is the art of persistence, keeping persistent. Mm. So with you trying to get into TV, do you think persistence had a, a huge part to it? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, but desperation maybe more than persistence because I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. Yeah. I mean, I I I dabbled in finance, um, as I said, with sort of mortgages, and I I found the industry really hard. You know, you don't go home at night like you're going to go home tonight and speak to your friends or whatever and go, hey, I have you, <coughs> Tim, loved you still on the telly and we talked about this. It was like, well, the job in the city is regarded as such a high job, yet you go home at night and go, do you know what I did today? I made a million pounds, a billion pounds, 1.7 million. But no one does that, do they? Do mm. they go home and what, what? what's the, I mean, I know it's good, it's good fun and I'm sure they enjoy it, but it's kind of the, got to have a purpose. And when I was working in, in, finance I'd, when I was working in a clothes shop it was alright I'd go you'd come in and I'd go this will look good on you and you'd go away feeling confident I'd sold you something when you're working in finance it's like I didn't know really what I was doing I didn't kind of get it and I'm now working in TV so as I say it's more desperation that I got yeah. it's like shit I've got to do something I can't do this I can't yeah. just talk about money all day yeah yeah it's so a tough job talking about money all day yeah I think again you need to have the personality for it it's a bit like boxing it's People can do boxing just to keep fit, but when it comes down to fighting, I think you need to have that real characteristic to be a fighter. True, and yeah. I think any sort of job you go into, you've got to have that personality almost for it, because otherwise it's just not going to work out. I would get in a ring if I was guaranteed to win. If I, <laughs> if I wasn't, I'm not sure I would. Well, maybe you can in. fight Christian because you, you'll be able to beat no, him up. Li- no, <laughs> his arms are a bit too big for my liking. Um, so what was your first job in TV? Well, I did. I mean, so I, I mucked about doing a lot of work experience. But if I was to say my proper first job was um, I got a, uh, a gig um, being, um, I, I did a few weeks on MTV, doing MTV at the movies. Uh, a guy would see my show and said, come in and do it. I think it's And how old was you then? I don't know. I never know timelines of things. It's all a bit of a blur. Uh, early 20s. Okay. And then in my mid-20s, I ended up getting a job in, um, uh, actually, yeah, early-ish 20s. and mid-20s, I sort of ended up getting a job on Planet 24, uh, who made the big breakfast. So I ended up as a researcher there. And that was kind of my real proper first job where I walked in and I went, oh, shit. I swear on this. Of course you can. Oh, shit. Fuck sh- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. I've blagged it all the way through and now I've got a job and I don't know what I'm doing but mm. there is nothing to know in television or anything creative all it is is ideas yeah. and, and it needs to be reinvented all the time so it didn't take long before I started thinking okay I know what I'm doing I, I think this will be a good idea of that. Uh, that and so so I ended up um, so I ended up there for, for a couple of years and went from researcher to producer in two years which is pretty much unheard of and it's not because I'm majorly talented. It's because, as I said before, it's the I am the majorly talented. But it's because <laughs> of the ex- explosion of the TV industry. People were just getting dragged left, right, and front and centre. So there's this thing called live TV which happened. I've talked about it earlier. And it's, it was a big thing in my life because it was just the most bizarre television that anyone had ever made. It was like um, topless darts and uh, I don't know they would all sorts of strange bizarre things they would do the, a bunny would read the news or something a news bunny or something. I don't know I can't remember but all the people were dragged out of companies like Planet 24 and offered mm-hmm. big money to go and work in this place left a lot of holes which people like I me mean, they'd be like uh, Tim you know what you're doing you're right you're in there you're suddenly an assistant producer and I'm like am I okay that's great and then suddenly it's like Christ we lost someone else you're a producer and it's like yeah. fine and I just took it and because I'm confident as in I'm not stressed by these sort of situations and that's the big thing with these these 
going back to your boxing analogy, there's no point in walking going into a ring if you're stressed, like I would be. But in TV, there's a lot of people who fell away because they were stressed. It's like, oh, live TV, I don't know. Whereas I was like, I don't care. It's yeah. like TV. It's not, yeah. not that important. Yeah. I um I done a, an episode about actually boxing about why most people should get into it even if you're just going to do the fitness and even a bit of sparring because for that very point it calms your nerves because once you start to learn how to control yourself in a boxing environment I do honestly feel you can transfer that into different different parts of your life business being put on the spot does that, family does that, it's, I, all my friends have got into jujitsu now they're all obsessed with it like literally daily they're uh-huh. going to do jujitsu. They've all started getting cauliflower ears, right. which they love because uh, it, you know, it means it's the new thing. It means they're working out. I actually saw something stupid actually on the internet. There was a guy getting his ear slammed with uh, two cups to try and pop his ear to make him look like he was a fighter. It was ridiculous. That's, That's what the world's come to these these days. But they're all they're all obsessive about jujitsu. Do you think that's a similar thing to boxing? Um, I can't say from like experience that. Uh, it's very, very like similar in regards to like controlling your emotions, but I obviously it's, it's going to be very, very good and handy for for life itself. I just think in boxing when someone's attacking you and it's on top, there's loads of punches coming. It's very intense. I think if you control your nerve in that scenario, I think everything else in life just fall, falls away almost. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's re- really good for business. But yeah, but you've got to get hit in the head to do. That. But it's learning how to move away from them punches, even by an inch, or even block it and defend and come back with something. And if you think about it, it's like a metaphor, analogy for life. You have recessions, so that's when someone's coming yeah. at you. And then you have when things are blooming and when things are flourishing, and that's when you're pushing forward. It's a bit like this Brexit talk where everyone speaks about. It's almost like someone's attacking their country and you've got a web of the storm, but it's going to be over at some point and then we're going to come out of it. That's yeah, how I look at it. What does it feel like to be hit? Uh, do you know what? It's not that painful. I I had a um, podcast interview with a guy called O'Hara Davis. I don't know if you know him. He's a pro boxer last week. It comes out uh, in about a week's time. And he, I asked him the same question. I said, when a big pro boxer hits you full pelt, what's it like? And he said, you don't really feel it. You just go quite warm, but your brain is jarred and you're... All right. Is that because of... Is that because of uh, adrenaline? Flow? Probably. Okay. Partly adrenaline. Then. I think it only hurts like probably minutes or it's hours a balance, after the though, fight, isn't it? Between I agree with you, the, the lessons you're learning are phenomenal, though you're also getting hit in the head, which which is not phenomenal. No, it's not. So, so it's a balance, isn't it? Between yeah. to, between hurting yourself. Yeah. And also getting the experiences that you're saying. Yeah. But you would never or so, no one ever should get into a ring where you're going to fight a bully who wants to really hurt you in regards to sparring. Right. Your trainer should never just throw you into somewhere where you're going to be at your depth. You should be, if cool. you're sparring and learning, you should be going in, in that ring with someone who's quite competitive where you're not going to get seriously injured because otherwise you're at the wrong gym. That's my opinion anyway. Mm, I interviewed Jake Shields the other day, MMA fighter. Right. And I said, how? On UFC? Is he a UFC fan? Yeah, he's, 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 he's one of the biggest fights of all time against um, uh, uh, Pierre. What's his name? Uh, Jean, uh, oh, God. Pierre. Uh, yeah, he just retired. Yeah. What's his name? Uh, oh, anyway. Uh, Pierre. Um, Jesus, I know who you're talking about. French Canadian guy. Saint Pierre. Yeah. Jules St. Pierre. Jules St. Pierre. That's it. Wait, yeah, we got yeah, that. Got it. <laughs> and um, yeah, he, I, so, so I said to him, when you're, when you're, when you're sparring, how, how close is it to, to fighting? And he said, 
he said for him because he's been doing it for such a long time it's never anywhere close to it it's about uh, it's about fitness and about keeping rhythm. sharp yeah, yeah rhythm probably um, but he said when you're learning to fight and you're going to get into a ring you when you spar you have to go up there because it's there's nothing in life which is the same experience about as being in the ring. Yeah. So you have to fight at 90%. Otherwise, <clears throat> there's no point. You're going to walk in the ring and it's going to be a shock to you when yeah. someone's coming and attacking you. Yeah. Like that, with that, uh, uh, that being that ferocious. Yeah. So, so, you know, he said you have to spar up to that level. You do, yeah. Very, very true. Because if you're pulling your punches, you're going to start pulling your punches in a real fight. And if you're being hit only at 50% or 60%, you'll think this is okay, this is easy. And then when you get in there, you'll have a rude awakening, basically. I'm not convinced it's for me. <laughs> <laughs> Try it out. You might like it. Well, only it if could I be could, your calling. Only if I could. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm quick. Yeah, the, the, the great pretender. <laughs> The great hope. Um, no, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I do fancy it sometimes, but the I see the thing is, it in my industry, it's the same as say boxing. Let's do that analogy. It's uh, the, the the to be a good TV presenter, it's all about the preparation. You can watch someone on telly and you think, oh my god, they've not prepped there. And I've actually gone a couple of weeks ago. I did an interview and I hadn't prepped properly. Oh, I, ooh, hated myself for it because there was a question and I mucked up because I hadn't looked at it. Tiny little thing, but that really hurts me. That, and I suppose it's the same, same with the boxing analogy. Unless you've done your prep, no, don't get in a ring mm. unless you're fit, you're sharp, you know what you're doing, and and I suppose that's the same as going on TV. Make sure you're sharp, you're fit, you've got your 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 prep, and the work to get prepped is hard. Yeah, right. So if I throw you in a live TV studio tomorrow and say three hour show go you'd be crap you'd be you know you'd do it you'd give, me right. but you'd be, <laughs> give me a shot give me a shot sign me up but watch them watch <laughs> yeah. all the reality yeah. stars and all that lot as soon as they just throw them on tv but some of them go away and train and learn their craft and learn their art and then they become really good at it and it's the same with anything you throw anyone into a situation you've got to do you've got to have done your, your your homework and your prep absolutely i always say to sales people if you haven't um put in the time you're going to get found out at the end of the month because you're not going to earn your commission because you've not closed any sales boxers are the same if you don't train hard in the gym you're going to bleed in, in the ring it's as simple as that well the other thing about presenting going back to that analogy as well is i always say the hardest bit of the show there was sorry the bit where i do not hardest the bit where i do my most work my my most the most important work i do is before we go on air so i will go and meet all the guests before we go on air and talk to them talk about what we're going to do and make sure they're relaxed and see how they're feeling that day uh, I'm going to get deep here but judge their energy some mm-hmm. of them don't want to be there yeah. Sunday morning yeah. see that and then try and break that really early yeah. just because I've got to try and work out three hour show how we're going to make this show work and there's you know there's times I do it better than others but that's the idea of the show is for my job I feel like I'm the you know the conductor trying to make sure everything's working and there's yeah. a nice bit of light and shade running throughout the show yeah I didn't think about it like that so who's the most interesting character you've met on TV interesting in what way I don't know. You've had some, especially on the Sunday uh, program. Yeah, you've had I some mean, very, I mean, very different, different I mean, people so on there. Many people. You had take that on there, didn't you? On the yeah, weekend, yeah, I had uh, how Donald from Take That. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, he's interesting because they became so huge. But what I like about talking to him was, and I spoke to him a bit about this in the ad breaks as well. Is um, Take That took a long time to make it? You know, they were they were dying as a band. Mm-hmm. Now look how huge they were. It's massive persistence, as you say. They kept on going, and they eventually did a cover of it only takes a minute and they went and toured that round schools constantly 
this doesn't happen now because it's social media. You, you know, you're going to make it or not by social yeah. media. But in those days, you know, to get your word out there, you had to tour around the schools. They put the work in. They worked really hard, those guys. Yeah. And actually, it's really, it's really interesting because I've interviewed a lot of, uh, when at Soccer M, we didn't interview a lot of the sort of pop stars. When I moved to Sunday Brunch, uh, we interviewed a lot more pop stars, terrestrial TV. So we got the girl bands, the boy bands, the solo pop stars and stuff. The work schedule they have is phenomenal. They yeah. Work, they work their absolute nuts off. And so, you know, oh, they're just a crap pop star. If they want to make it, wow, they've got to put the, put the hours in. Really do. And Adam Ricketts was on the show as well. And he said this really interesting thing that he hated it. He, do you remember him? He was in Corrie. He did the first um, first gay kiss on Corey, And right. then they picked him up and they went, right, we're going to turn you into a pop star. He had this one big hit where he was <coughs> naked in a box. I can't remember what it was called now. And he had an album, signed a six album deal and all that. And he hated it and wanted to get out because he said he was just, his life was controlled because there's always someone there when it comes to pop who's going Dictating, to them, yeah, yeah. right, you need to be here for that interview, you need to be there for that interview, you need to do this, do that, because they've got to do the hours because there's competition, there's pop stars everywhere and boy yeah. bands everywhere and all that sort of stuff and girl bands, they have to do the, whereas if you're in a band, you can actually just be more relaxed because, you know, it's just, I mean, depends what you want to do. If you want to become a huge, great, big star, then you probably have to do the same routine. But if you just want to be a, a Nirvana or something, you can, I'm sure they worked hard, but you just go, right, let's just not do anything to that. Yeah. Because <laughs> we can. You touched on something, which I was going to speak about like, later on, but uh, social media. I think it's a bit of a paradox. In one, one way, it's great because you can promote yourself, boy, being a, uh, being a music person, boy band, or maybe a footballer, boxer, anyone, you can start to promote yourself. But then there's the other side of it, which can lead to depression, anxiety, to keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak. What's your view on like social media? Much more negative side to it than positives. Um, Do your children ha have it? Because I'm considering now whether like, obviously I'm never going to deny my own son of doing what he wants to do, but the real education behind it, you know, really understand what social media is all about. Yeah, it's my daughter's lives, not mine. I mean, I can't, you know, they're, my, my eldest daughters, are, my youngest daughter's five, she doesn't have anything, but my eldest daughters are 17. It's their yeah. lives. Yeah, they're and adults. At 17, I wasn't living at home, for God's sake. You know, mm. they are. But, you know, it's like, it was up their choices. I talk to them about it all the time. And um, personally, I have a real problem with social media because I need to use it to promote my podcasts, um, to have feedback from my podcast, to have uh, to promote my TV shows and anything else that I'm doing. And I like to, I like to get the feedback as well. Um, however, I have a really bad addiction to it. So uh, if anyone listens to my podcast, they'll, they'll understand this because I talk about it all the time. It's absolutely some days takes over my life. I'm aware of it and I can't do anything about it. My analogy is that, you know, do you drink at all? Yeah. Right. So you've had. You've I know had, you uh, like a few beers. I was listening to that one this morning. Right. So you've <laughs> had three. You've had three beers. Yeah. Okay. And then you think, okay. So you go on to four and you start, oh, I've got three beers. You can leave it, right? Four beers. You can start going, mm, I'm now trapped in a little bit of a thing here. <laughs> By the time you get to five or six or something, right? So you get to, say you get to six pints in, you're feeling pretty lively. And then a uh, little bit giddy and you go to the barman, I need another drink. And he goes, we've called last orders, the sort of panic you have, right? But I need another drink. Yeah. Where are we going to go? Where are yeah, we gonna yeah, go? Yeah. You don't need another drink. Yeah. But you've got caught into that cycle of, I need a drink, I need a drink. Such need a, a drink. good example. It's like that with the phone. Yeah. And there was, a, there was a day two weeks ago where 
for some bizarre reason, I was tired, always to do with being tired, being a bit, and I ended up on my phone and doing that, doing that. And I could not wait to get to bed so I could stop checking and checking and checking Instagram, Twitter, news, you know, feedback all over the place. You know, I'm just going to, da, da, da. and I become, a, and I can feel myself doing it. And I still can't put the thing down. I grayscale my phone a lot as well. Mm. I turn it black and white because if there's no colors on it, no flashing <laughs> lights and pretty colors, then yeah. I don't look at it as much. I mean, it's a real problem for me, but I admit it's a problem. And I watched a documentary on these guys <clears throat> and they were influencers and they took their phones away from them and they were just going, I don't know what to fucked. do, I don't know what to do, I don't know yeah. what to do. You Anxious. Know, yeah, and, and, and I met uh, an influencer the other day who uh, did an interview with, um, and she, uh, she asked me to do an interview and I said, yeah, I wanted to find out about her. I, I kind of like doing things like this, I like finding out about people. And uh, it, the, the, the relentlessness of posting if you want to be an influencer because that's how you make your money. It's your job. Just, but you've got to do it two ways. So they comment, you've got to give some back and stuff. Of course. It's intense. It's a hard job. And, you know, like I go back all the way to the beginning, money at the, at the top. You've got to make sure what you're doing in life is something that you really want to do. Otherwise, it's just yeah, treadmill of stuff. So I have a love-hate relationship. I wish it would go away. Really do, but it's not. So mm. we've got to work out how to use it. I yeah, need, I need to use it, but I wish I didn't have to. Well, is it, going back to the drink example, it's a little bit like that. I feel like one of the reasons why I do boxing so much and try and have certain fights lined up in my calendar because I can't drink. There's no no question I'm not allowed to drink. So if anyone asks me, no, I'm fighting in two months. So they know straight away, yeah. do, do not ask him for a drink. And with um, social media, I try and have certain key points in the day where I have to use it in order to promote myself or the businesses I'm affiliated to and then step away. But sometimes I get dragged into it. And then before I know it, I'm doing what you're doing. Like it's like just, just, but I'm it. bad, but you watch some of the celebrities on it who get dragged into political debate or you know, any of those things which are happening at the moment. And then the media picks it up and oh, pulls it out. And, and <laughs> But they can't get that every morning they get up and they can't, they can't leave it alone. Yeah. And I, I really want to phone some up and go, just leave it alone. Just let it go. You're arguing with nobody. Yeah. You might as well be standing in a field going, this is what I think of Brexit. You know, it's like, it's just pointless. <laughs> it's pointless. Why are you doing it? But they can't stop it. Yeah. They can't. And, but we're all the same. I'm just, I'm just, uh, I, I'm just really, I, I can see it. I, I'm really, you know, I'm conscious of the fact that I'm doing it. And I think a lot of people are in denial. Yeah. Like a like a sort of alcoholic who's in denial. We're all in denial of what we're doing with our smartphones. And do you know what as well? Like without trying to talk about conspiracy theories. Um, well, go on, like a good conspiracy yeah. theory. <laughs> in some ways, you could see the argument of someone saying, now there's like 2 billion people, for example, or 2.3 billion people using Facebook. You've got over a billion on Instagram alone. You've got something ridiculous on Twitter and the list goes on. The government or certain powers that are higher than us know exactly where you are, reptiles. where you are, reptiles. <laughs> they know exactly where you are all the time. I mean, is that ever crossed your mind? Uh because sometimes when I've got friends of mine who don't use social media, I envy them. I think, you bastard, I wish I was like you. 
Yeah. What was the what what's the purpose of knowing where everyone is all the time? What are they how are they using that? I don't know whether it's to sell to you, you know, products or whether they well, just they're definitely selling products to yeah. you nonstop all the way through social but media. But just learn more and more about you. So they doing can... that. But that, I see I'm okay with that because I believe in in less is more. So I'm mm. quite minimalist, so I don't I don't want to buy anything. And if I ever want to buy something and it's big, I always wait thirty days and see if I still want to buy it. Good lesson. It's it's the way I do it. Yeah, you know? you know that's wait wait thirty days. Still want it in thirty days. Like if I was going to buy one of these pieces of art, I was going to say, so, did you wait thirty days for Schooney or no, immediately? <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> on social media, I was, looking at dr- I was drunk. It's one of my, it's, it's, but it's one of my best purchases ever. Yeah, because uh, I was a, a, a charity do, and it came up in an auction. And I eventually, it's a long story, but I eventually ended up getting it. And hey, I've got a friend now in Scooney because I like him. He's a great guy. Top ta- guy. Talented and all that. And B, it's it's just such a beautiful thing to have in my house. It's one of these guys, but it's... Boy it's, soldier. Yeah, but it's um, it's a, it's a one-off because it's in the, where the wild things are, Max outfit with a big furry tail and all that sort of stuff. So... I just fell in love with it because uh, there's a long story to do with my kids and everything. And and uh, I've got them in a glass box now. And literally everyone, I do my podcast from my kitchen. You have to walk past him. And everyone stops and goes, wow, what's that? And the, the, the difference in reactions is like, that creeps me out. It's scary. I don't like it because it's so lifelike. It's painted. So it looks like, it literally looks like a boy in a in a in a glass box yeah uh and then other people are like i love that yeah and it's an interesting sort of uh piece of art to own because most most art is pictures or you know well pictures paintings things like that and then to actually have a you know a thing a sculpture is is phenomenal you don't think about buying that if you think about buying art do you never never so it's unusual yeah definitely you probably do because you're here but i mean for most people we don't think about buying it it's always a piece of art because of what it is, a boy holding a grenade in the pin out. It always sparks conversation. And like you said, some people really love it and understand the meaning and other people, they have a different meaning and they think it's quite quiet on the borderline of whether it should be allowed or not. Yeah. But that's how we got to know each other because you helped us with the documentary for Woodbury House and, 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 and the Schooney stuff. And I think his market's going up and up and up. He's doing more stuff in Dubai now as well, which is great. So over the last few years... His market and the drive he's got has just been going up and up and up and up. It's really, yeah, really good to see. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because you buy, um, <laughs> you buy like say say that whole thing to mate was a hundred quid in materials, and then you've got to add the thousands on top of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for the idea. Yeah, it's such a strange concept. Yeah, that well, art. that's even less. It's well, yeah. a bit of paint on canvas. Yeah, probably cost cost the artist twenty quid. Yeah. Yeah, Back in the day, mad. Exactly. So, so it's it's interesting how art works. It's all on the perception of what it is and its value. Yeah. Um, tough to tough to value things, isn't it? It's supply and demand, I suppose. So, do you, do you invest? I mean, obviously, you collect you've collected art, but do you invest into other things like property, stocks, and shares? No, no. Um, I just try and simplify absolutely everything in my life, um, and so. Yeah, I've I've just <laughs> my uh, my accountant uh, and my bank manager laughed. I said, "How can I make it more simple? I just want everything as simple as possible." Uh, and I always used to beat myself up about that, but when I went through some mental health problems, I started reading quite a bit of stuff 
um, quite love Buddhism, uh, which I, I'm quite drawn to. Though I I didn't bother going to it. In that I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not. You know, I didn't go into it in too much detail. But one of the things I liked is the non-attachment. So say you invest in property or art or anything, you're going to attach yourself to that. Every attachment brings itself some anxiety, potentially some stress. Definitely. Everything. So it doesn't matter what you buy or own, you've got to make a real decision about everything uh, because it has a, an actual effect on you. Yeah. Guys sound really deep here, but it's kind of true. So you go and buy a, buy a like I bought a, I bought an, uh, fuck, it winds me up so much. I bought an um, Audi Q8 because of all the kids and everything. One of those great big cars. Sorry, Q8, Q7. What the hell is Q7. that? Q7. Q7, sorry, yeah. What did I say Q8 for? Yeah. Q7. And it's, uh, it's. Um, I'm not a massive car fan, as you could just tell then. But, but I bought it because, I, and so I said to the guy in, in the shop when I bought it, I said, look, uh, what's the most friendly for the environment? Diesel, he said. So I spent all my money, bought the car, and now we know diesel is terrible for the environment. So now I've got this attachment to this great, big, lovely, beautiful car, which does everything. It's amazing. It's, the, yeah. you know, it sort of pretty much drives itself and I don't want it. Yeah. So I've got all that. And I'm just, every time I look at it, I think, how do I get rid of this car without yeah. losing all my money? So, you know, um, I'm on the waiting list for a Tesla instead, you know, because I think that's better for the environment. Yeah. So everything you buy, you get an attachment. So, so no, I don't invest in things because I don't want any attachment to anything is the short answer yeah fair enough i mean I've, I've affiliated to a few different businesses here i've got a property company as well and i have to admit when you go through challenges on that there are parts like yesterday we had something go wrong with one of our properties <laughs> there was about an hour where you do feel stressed but the moment you come over it then you get that euphoria moment so all the problems are elongated they're like you either have a massive high or a massive kind of low with it and again, going back to personalities, I think sometimes if you don't have that kind of right personality or you're not in the right mental space, it can sometimes affect you a lot more worse than it would have done maybe a year ago or two years ago. But we're drawn to these things. Like from a very early age, we're told in this country, invest in property. Yeah. Or, you know, invest in stock exchange, <clears throat> invest in this, invest in that. So we're told from a very early age that. And when I bought my house, uh, I had a flat before that and I kept my flat for a while. And after about two months, I realized I hate being a landlord. I despise it. And I was doing it because everybody was going, yeah, it's such a good idea. And I was like, I, this is horrible. Yeah. So I sold it immediately. And I thought what I want to do is invest in me because I know. So, you know, so my investments go into things like my podcast and stuff like that. And, uh, and if I'm doing any investment, I'm, it's not too much. But I mean, my po podcast has cost, has cost me a lot more money than I've made out of it. Put it that way, a lot more. But it's sort of investing in me in the future and the idea that people want to actually hear me talk to interesting people and and um, uh, and it has value to them and their lives. Yeah. One of the reasons why I started it, I think it's almost like a spiritual goal. I like to, I believe in the saying that whatever you put out to the world, you're going to get back. And I just try and put as much value as I can out onto the podcast. It's totally free. I don't actually run any ads. I'm not trying to monetize it. I'm just putting it out. And every single week, I usually get some positive feedback. <laughs> Yeah, see, I worry about this with podcasting because that attitude you're saying there is the attitude I come from. I, I just start off for fun. I don't make any money out of it. Um, I've got some sponsors now, but it's paying for literally batteries and uh, yeah. train fares and stuff for, for the guy, who Mark, who produces it with me. And, um, and 
I, but there's these strange things happening in the world at the moment, which is like a lot of advertising starting to run on them. Now, I know people are trying to make money out of it, and I understand that, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if that is the motivation for it, then they're not going to last long because there's not a lot of money in it. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of money around in podcasting. Uh, and so I wonder that there's so many people coming into the podcast world, which I think is great, but there seems to be two sets of people, one like us, who are going, yeah, let's just do it and share ideas. And and then the others are like, quick buck, here yeah. we go. Let's take it on tour. Yeah. Like, because I've been asked to take mine on tour. And I'm like, yeah, do turn up in a, I can't charge for this. Like, turn up and talk and I'm going to charge for it. It's like, it's a bizarre How scenario. many subscribers you got now? Oh, I don't do ever know? get involved in that. In the statistics? Talk. Never. And, and it's the most important lesson I give to anyone who's starting in anything like this is don't ever look at the figures because you get caught up in... Uh, it's like the social media again. How many likes you got? How many followers? Right. So I was told this years ago by Chris Evans, the broadcaster Chris Evans, who said to me, don't look at ratings. Look at who's advertising in your show. If you get caught up in ratings, you start going, oh, when I interviewed so-and-so, I got yeah. this many. When I interviewed so-and-so, I get that many. You lose Netflix have done something which I think is absolutely amazing. They're refusing point blank to, re- to release ratings. And why that's amazing is um, it means that they can put stuff out there which doesn't rate, but gives their channel a nice bit of light and shade. Otherwise, they go, all right, Marvel rates, let's just make Marvel. Let's just make as many Marvel uh, series as possible yeah. because they rate. Let's forget doing any, I don't know, any, any uh, documentaries not, or, or serial killers, right? Let's just make stuff on serial killers. Let's not try anything else because that's what rates. That's what happens if you start looking at figures. And we're obsessed with figures and we're obsessed with this game about winning. It's not about winning because if you've got two people watching this, I, I haven't, when you asked me to do it, I didn't say how many figures have you got. I just said, yeah, I'll do it because I like you. But if Thank two you. people, but if two people watch this and go, oh, I love that. I learned something. Then, or, a million listen to it and go, God, that's a pretty shallow piece of shit. You yeah. know, I'd rather be doing it to the two who actually got something out of it. Yeah. And I, th- and I think that's the, that's the purpose of life. My producer every now and then says, do you want to know how we're getting on? I don't know. Because he follows it all. He's obsessed with it and I'm not. Because I said, I don't want to start booking guests on who's going to get the rating. Yeah. I want to book guests on giving a, a broad spectrum of stuff that I'm interested in. Definitely. Wicked. Good bit of advice that you touched on something earlier. Well, not good advice. You want to make money. <laughs> yeah, if you want to make money, look at the ratings. <laughs> yeah, um, if you want longevity, don't. Yeah, I just think it would lo- lose the fun, like you said, if I started like looking at the ratings. You just get too obsessed with it. But you mentioned something earlier, which. But also, what you end up doing. Sorry to interrupt you there. Also, you start looking for exclusives because you started looking for uh, me saying, um, "I want." Uh, you know, I want to kill the queen. Tim Lovejoy says he wants to kill the queen. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, and then you go, there's the headline. And then go, poof. And then you stitch me up. You stitch up your thing, you know, because you're desperate to get people to in. Whereas this is just a nice conversation, which is about just nothing really yeah. and everything. Where people go, oh, I quite like that. It's like two people just sitting around in a pub having a chat. Yeah. And that's what I think podcasting is about. It's the raw material. Yeah. And so if you want ratings, look for look, look for headlines. And headlines can... off. The world's not black and white. So if you look, watching the news at the moment, this is really interesting. Um, uh, the, the, news, the news is completely black and white. So when you look at when you watch it, it's, it's every bulletin has to be a soundbite 
And it has to be extreme. Should she go? Should she be sacked? Should this happen? Brexit, da 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 da, whatever it is. It's like, you know, extreme, 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 extreme. Get me clicks, get me ratings, get me, because it's, that's how it's financially rewarding to people. So it's, it's, it has to, by the way, this is not new. It's, it's been forever. Yeah. Uh, you know, headlines, sensationalist headlines. They changed the world. Journalism is a good thing and a bad <laughs> thing at the same time. So just for instance, on drugs, the headlines on drugs throughout the history of time have been so detrimental in in the policing of drugs and drug reform because it's just a better headline. There's zombies jumping, you know, tearing their own ears off. You know, that's such a better, or tearing their own eyes out. That's a such a better headline than, uh, yeah, some people take this and it's all right, but there's been a few cases where it's been, you know, yeah. crap for you, whatever, you know. So I, I've done a lot of podcasts, well, a couple of podcasts on drug reform. And I, I, if you want to watch that, you should, because I really believe in legalizing drugs. I've only changed my opinion in the last three or four months. Um, so, but the headlines have always been done uh, done that way. Now there's no money left in print journalism. It's had to go online. The clicks have had to get, it's got to get more and more extreme, whereas podcast is the antidote. So if you end up being, I need money from this, what you end up being is the guy, where's the headline? Where's the headline? Come on, Tim, give me a, come on, what, which way are you going with Brexit? What's happening? What do you want And if you keep doing that, you know, here's, here's my Brexit line. Lovejoy's mm. done a Brexit line. Great, let's get that out there. Get some yeah. more hits. What's he got to say about Brexit? Yeah. The only difference, though, the only one difference I would uh, say is, you know, Joe Rogan? Yeah. I mean, he raises a lot of money every single year off his podcast. I feel his is quite authentic, yeah. and I feel he just flows with it. But I heard something ridiculous. It was tens of millions he raised from his Joe Rogan experience or whatever it's called, Joe oh, Rogan's no, 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 I'm not saying there's not money to be made out of it, but you've got to get as big as Joe Rogan to make it. He got 100 million downloads or something Oh, my God, the, month, guys, yeah. the guys, you know, him, Mark Maron, uh, Bill Burr, uh, Sam Harris, uh, Tim Ferriss, all the American guys are making a fortune out of their podcasts. You know, they're making a lot of money, but, they've, but they're also not going for sensationalist headlines all yeah. the time. And their know. culture in America, a lot more people are listening to podcasts. UK's catching up. But America has been there for some time. Yeah, because people are sick of 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 these knee jerk uh, soundbite news the fake and news, stuff. as they always say over there. You know, like Roseanne Barr. What happened to her? <coughs> she gave her her first, I think, her first interview to Joe Rogan, right? Because she was like, "Well, I'm going to talk for three bloody hours. You're going to get the full range of what I what I feel about what I said." Yeah. Whereas if she was doing the news, they'd be like, where's the headline? Where's the headline? Where's the headline? Yeah. I need the click. I need the click. What are you going? What are you, you know? So, so it's a, you know, and I, and I, so I, I love the world of podcasting. I think it's really exciting. And I think it's a real antidote to what's going on with the social media and the clicking and stuff. But we then need the social media to try and get people in to, yeah. to listen to. Yeah, I listen to one every single day, uh, either before boxing or after. Uh, it's a really, really good thing. Learn a lot, don't you? Oh, loads. So mm. much. Wisdom. You mentioned something earlier, a bit of a sore subject, but I wanted to ask you. When I see you on TV, even back in the day on uh, Soccer AM. AM, that's how I got to know your personality. I just remember the whole ham thing that was wicked. And then also on Sunday brunch, you always seemed very upbeat, very nice, genuine guy. But then you mentioned something about going through like slight depression and stuff. What was that like? What's it feel like or because i've never it? been through it but one of the reasons why we set up mimboso is to also talk about uh mental state mental uh bring awareness to like mental depression or anxiety and stuff like that and we want to start a a cult um a community where people can talk about it quite freely you nearly said cult then no yeah <laughs> and um can i be the head of the cult <laughs> because it was it's still quite a taboo subject i feel so i wanted to see from 
uh, a TV personality, what what was it like going through it? Do you think it's taboo? I'm not sure. It's, it, it is. Certain communities it is. Like, I, you were I going- suppose I feel a bit more uncomfortable with this question than all the others you've asked me, so I suppose it still is. When I first um, started getting depression was... Uh, I don't know how many years ago, maybe 10 years. Actually, I've been through, my timelines are terrible and my brain's terrible with things like this. But when I first had depression and I was on something for the weekend, which was the first version of Sunday Brunch on BBC Two, I never told anybody. I kept it all to myself. I was worried if I told people, they'd go, let's get rid of the guy with the depression problems. Now, I'd be comfortable to tell people um, if I if I go through a, a, a period of it um, it hurts that's what it does uh, if anyone's experienced it it's hard now because as humans we're very good at moving on from things so you have a terrible breakup with somebody you know it hurts like hell and then 10 years later you go oh, Jesus Christ you know and that happens with depression as well so you, you know you don't you don't keep remembering how dark it was but mm. I do remember <clears throat> it physically hurt as well as mentally hurt. I laid in bed a lot. I used to get up to do my show on a Sunday. I would um, I'd really struggle with watching the TV, listening to music, um, human interaction. Uh, really bad days for me were when it was sunny because I felt like I had to. I should be enjoying my life. Mm. When it rained and miserable and cloudy, I used to bring me a tiny bit of joy. <laughs> Bizarrely, because I thought I, it's okay for me to feel the way I did that day. Um, it was, uh, it was uh, very, everything was very dark uh, and there felt like there was no light at the end of the tunnel. However, as time went on and what I started to do was start, I went and got therapy. There's some bad therapy out there and there's some good therapy. Um, if you're not, if things aren't working, if you always change your therapist, but I was, and I did a lot of reading and I think reading and I did a lot of working out why I was feeling the way I did and scientifically as well as the sort of holistic stuff as well. And then there's suddenly, as you're coming out of depression, there's suddenly little, like it, like you're looking at the sun through trees, it suddenly starts going through and you can, you can just grab onto one of those and goes, okay, right. There's a reason to still, to be you, to and, be alive yeah. here, you know, and to, and to you know to, to to enjoy life a bit and then slowly there's more and more and you come out of it and then you go back into it again and then you come out and then you come back in and then you learn why it is and then you have to change your life and my theory on it at the moment is um uh which changes often and i'm not an, not an expert on this and i know there's millions of different types of depression from clinical depression which i don't really know enough about i've never taken i took the, i took the drugs for a tiny period of time hated it because i didn't feel like me and thought, well, this is pointless. I'm just numbing myself out of this. Mm. What's the point in this? And um, the way I feel now is that when you get, when I have depression, it's because there's something wrong in my life. So I've decided that it's it's the way of my, and I've read up on this, so it's not, I'm not alone on this way of thinking, is that it's a way of me telling me it's not working. What I'm doing is not working. So that's why I started reading stuff like the Buddhism and stuff like that. And so, so you start attaching yourself to something. So, so I attach myself to going out every Friday night to a nightclub and listening to dance music. <laughs> Such a stupid example. <laughs> I've never really done that. Say so you attach yourself to that, but it's not working for you anymore. Say you've attached yourself to going home and away with a football club. There you go. 
every week and you're not enjoying it anymore but you can't switch it off because it's what you're about say you attach yourself to boxing but you're turning up every day for training you don't want to be there you don't want to go in a ring anymore but it's what you are it's who you are yeah. that's it defines you but you don't like it anymore you can start slipping so you see a lot it happens a lot in sport it does because they're defined by who they are and everyone goes you're the footballer Frank then, Bruno was a good example of that all the footballers all the rugby players and then they retire and everyone goes sorry who did you used to play you know yeah. it's like some other kids come along and taking it and you watch all the kids at the moment who are like I don't know Deli Ali uh, Harry Kane Sterling whoever all the all those all those kids one day they're going to be old people and there's a new kid come along it's hard when that defines you so so you know I don't know if I'm talking crap here or not but basically my the way I feel that my my depression manifests itself was that I just life wasn't right for me anymore and I had to change a lot of things mm. I, I interviewed a lady called Emily uh, Warburton Adams she uh, she goes by the name of English Emily on social media it came out two days ago on my podcast she also went through uh, big uh, mental health issues had uh, anorexia and stuff like that and then she said it defined her because she then turned her attention to her company what she's got now which is called Poe which is a superfood basically company nutritional company and she said that nutrition has a direct influence over your wellness, your your state, basically your mental um, your mental state. So she used that what she went through that controversial moment in her life to actually develop this comp- company. Do you think that that is quite sound advice? Like try and focus on developing something off the back end of it, which is where I've sort of bizarrely talked. To, are you going to edit this or is it, does it get edited? or does it If you want it to be, but I normally keep it all raw. Okay. Because you'll see as I've gone through, I've sort of said things like about money and stuff like that. That's it, 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 finding a purpose in life, I think is important. So if your only purpose is to make money, then I think it, you, that's why I said, I think it could be quite a hard job. It's going to be could, short-lived, yeah. Well, not that, but m- maybe mentally, you like, what am I doing? Yeah. It's like, so, so... Uh, the podcast for me is definitely a way that I get purpose. I interview such interesting people constantly. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's a, it's real, it's a, it's a fascination for me, but it, I think people can latch on to, <laughs> do I say this? I've gone. I think people can, I think there's so many different things that you can do to try and help your mental health that people find one aspect and latch onto it. Yeah. So for instance, exercise is fantastic for your your mental health, for for being sane and uh and being healthy and not not, not <coughs> feeling low. However, because I knew that I exercised myself into a back operation, bad knee, bad back overtrain. You abuse it. Because I know it's a way out. Well, it's almost like the drinking or even some people turn to drugs because you start, you take one, you think, oh, I feel good now. Let's bang 10 or whatever you're taking down. And before you know it, you're, you're going backwards. So I think a lot of people are doing this. We've become sort of very fanatical in our, I think a lot of, you know, I I think it's very normal to have mental health issues now in our society. I think we've created this. We've broken down all our communities. We're all a bit lost. Um, we're all sort of flailing around like individuals trying to be better than each other. 
Uh, I interviewed a guy called Will Storer, all about the self-esteem movement, how we're all told that we're brilliant and we're fantastic and we're different and we're exciting. Turns out we're all the same as each other. Mm. <laughs> you know, we're not, there's no one particularly that much better than other people. But in our society, we keep going, Harry Kane's better than you or whoever it is. You know, Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian, she's better than you. Look at all the money she earns for, for taking pictures of herself. Look at the... Da, 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 da. And so we're always, we're, and we're always made to feel crap about ourselves and... All those things, but you've got this—you've got this world of of maybe of um, people who uh, like diet. Diet is something people are latching onto. We're latching onto things like religions. So I don't know. You might eat clean. That was one which was around, or vegan. That's huge at the moment. Or carnivore diets be- becoming quite big. You know, just red meat. It's like one of those things that people are doing. And there's there's so gluten free. Something like that's all that yoga, right? Yoga helps once so i'll do it every day 10 times a day meditation i'm now i can now meditate for two hours a day rather than 10 minutes it's like we we have we're all flailing around i feel like yeah and it's work in progress for me and i think it's work in progress for most people but they'll find their one thing and then go so she might found her food thing and yeah and and that could help her but i don't know it's it's definitely worth trying to find purpose yeah I think like having purpose, but in multiple different areas. So family helps, exercise. Sometimes if you develop a business, even if it's a small hobby on the side, getting around the right people, reading, bit of meditation, going away. I think if you yeah. tick all these boxes, it really gives you an all-round They say, life. I, always, I always say this, and it always disappoints you when I tell people this because I've not yet achieved it, but you need three hobbies in life. You need one for, to make money. If you're making money out of your hobby, then it's pretty good. You need one for fitness and you need one to be creative. If you get your three hobbies in order, you're pretty good. You're pretty set up for life. I've sadly <laughs> not got the creative one. I've got the one to make money, which is my TV, because I do enjoy doing that. I love it. I love going on TV and, and uh, you know, just interviewing people and all that sort of stuff. Um, I've got my fitness, which has been, actually, that's been because of the injuries. That's been quite tough, but I do a lot of, a lot of fitness, a lot of running. I used to do a lot of running, swimming, stuff like that. You do your boxing and then it's the creative one. So I've tried to play the guitar. Crap, rubbish. Sat there playing the guitar, started learning some tunes. And I thought, now what I need to do is sing. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to sing. I have literally no interest. And what am I going to do? Like bring my guitar here and sit and have a sing with you. I mean, it's maybe. <laughs> it's like, maybe I could be your backup singer. So I had Colin Salmon on my podcast the other day. You said you'd listen to it. Yeah. And he brings his trumpet with him. It's a pocket trumpet. <laughs> God, that guy's talented. Not only is he smart, he's an actor and, you know, he's, he's just brilliant. But he brings his pocket trumpet, gets it out. And then at the end, he says, some more. And I went, yeah. So he gets his, starts playing it and then sings and then goes back and playing it. And I'm looking at him thinking, Jeez, that's brilliant, isn't it? Like you can just have the ability. And I said to him, who wrote that song? He goes, me, it's my song. I was like, nice. that's amazing. That's really good. Isn't this him and his wife in a band together? They do steel bands. Yeah. yeah. But they also, he's captain of Carnival, Float and everything. He's he's a great man. He's a great man, that guy. I like him. Comes across like really well. But you've got to find something which makes you creative as well. And but wouldn't like- you say doing the podcasting is a bit creative? I know you're on TV anyway, but for me, I'm not. So I regard this as my creative kind of side Do of me. You? Okay, that's good. But you've got your other business as well, I suppose. But this is sort of similar to my business, my financial one as well. So I think creatively I need to, maybe I should get some paints out or something. But no, creatively. Get over and teach you how to mould something. <laughs> creatively I need to, I, I always think that's, that's the bit. It's the bit where you think, mm, what should I do now? Oh, I can't wait because I've got to go and do my guitar playing or something. But I just... I'm crap musically, and so I don't know. I've never found that creative thing ever. Need to find it. 
Well, it's definitely out there. I'm pretty sure if you look for it, you'll, uh, you'll definitely find it. Mm. So you've done Sock AM, Sunday Brunch. You've obviously got your own podcast, which is called... Dear Love Joy. Dear Love Joy. Um, what's next for you? YouTube. Okay. It's going to be called Dear Love Joy. I don't know. YouTube. We're working on it. And you're going to film your podcast? They're already filmed. They're already all on YouTube. But I'm going to work more on the channel. Uh, yeah, YouTube's fascinating me. I like it. It's, it's Please subscribe to my channel. Look up Tim Lovejoy on YouTube and then subscribe. I don't even know you had a YouTube channel. Yeah, well, there's not a lot of people subscribe to at the moment because all I'm doing is putting the, the podcasts on there. Which people do watch some of them on there. Um, but... I want to create content. I'm just working with some people to work out what sort of content. I've got an idea. Uh, I'll come back and tell you about it sometime. But it's it's still I work idea work in progress. <laughs> so until I actually nailed it down. But I'm fascinated by all sorts of. I I like the future. I like change. I'm one of those strange people who loves things when they change. Okay. Whereas everybody else says, ah, don't change the world. I like it. It is. It's I good. Always think, I it's always good think, to embrace it. Well, I like it. It's just my personality that I want to embrace it. And I love, I love, I really enjoy TV, um, but it's changing dramatically. And I really enjoy podcasting. And, and I think YouTube's great. And, I th- and I'm watching YouTube. I'm watching my kids watch a lot of stuff online. And I'm watching my friends now. They're watching more stuff. And, and it's and there's YouTube on my smart TV. Mm-hmm. It's not going away. It's an interesting phenomenon. It's only ten years oldish. That's all it is. It's quite new, and it's got to change. From hey, I'm going to do a prank. I'm in my bedroom. It's gonna change. It has to change into other. It, it's it, it it's going to evolve. It has to into different. I'm not saying that stuff is going to go away because I think people love it. But there's a there's that. Uh, have you been? Have you ever looked at TikTok? No. So that's a sort of seems to be a very quick version of those YouTube videos. Okay. So it's it's just sort of people doing dance routines or people going, oh, "I'm going to throw some stuff on your head." So it's prank, 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 prank. It's, but it's quick. Okay. Like, dun, 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 dun. You can you can look at. I don't know how long their videos are. They're tiny, but you can basically look at. at it, it's it's moving it on. A bit, and I think that's going to take it away from YouTube. But as I say, YouTube's not going anywhere. So, YouTube, they used to say, keep everything under. Oh, what was it when I was working? It was under 30 seconds at one stage. Then I think it's moved to a minute and a half. Now I think they're looking for long form, and I think advertisers as well are looking for long form entertainment. A lot more documentaries are going on there and different things. So, it's evolving and it's changing. So it's, uh, I, I'm excited by that at the moment. I don't know where it's going. I don't know what sort of content I'm doing on there, but I'm I'm definitely trying to build this channel at the moment. But I've only got, I've only got, I think it's only 2,000 subscribers. It might not even be that many. So it's not, you know, you need to you need to get yourself up to at least 50,000 subscribers before you're a player on there. So yeah. just, just seeing what's happening. Cool. So where, where would you see yourself in 10 years' time? Are you still going to be on TV, you reckon, or you haven't really thought of that far ahead? or World leader. No, um, run for government. Don't know. I, th- I think that's a bad idea to think ten years in the in the future. Thing the one thing I have learned through reading and everything else is that the most important, most incom- most important conversation you've had in your life is the one we're having, having right now. now. 
because it's the one where you actually live in it. Of course. And, and I think if you know that famous thing, if you uh, look into the future, you get anxiety. If you look in the past, you get depression. So <clears throat> just, just live in the future and live here and now. And I do think there's a lot to be said for that. Um, uh, though it is quite nice to know that you're, when you mentioned earlier, I noticed your eyes lit up when you said, if I've got a fight, you've got something to aim for and yeah. to look forward to. And, and I think that's a good thing to have in a way. Live, live for now, but it's nice to have something to look forward to, whether it's a holiday or yeah, something planned, you know, something a party. If you've got something. If you're ever feeling low, try and plan something. So you got, at least I've got one thing to look forward well, to. Well, it's purpose again, isn't it? Purpose, yeah. You know, when people have a holiday, like we're, we're going away to Morta, and even my missus at the moment, she's like, right, I need to lose this amount of weight because I want to feel this good yeah. in, in this bikini. And it's a good thing, really, because she's trying to refine her diet a little bit more, train a little bit harder so she can go away and, and, and enjoy herself. And I think if you've got multiple different things over the year, it should keep you a little bit more focused. Yeah. I think it's a good way of looking at it. Tough though when you're, because you've got a young baby, tough for her to, I mean, the, the, it's, the mums suffer because of... She's been doing really well. She's tiredness. Lost, yeah, she, yeah. And yeah. It's, it's, it's the, the, the sleep. And she's, she's still breastfeeding as well. So yeah, it is tough. So I interviewed a guy called... Um, uh, Mir Krieger, one of the Dr. Mir Krieger, one of the leading sleep specialists in the world, and he said that sleep is sort of the most important thing you can do as a human, and it makes sense really because you're asleep for eight hours a day. It's a pretty pretty crap thing for a mammal to do, bearing in mind that one stage we'd have we have predators <coughs> who would come and eat us. Yeah. So you know that's a long <coughs> period of time to be asleep, and we hit deep sleep as well. So clearly, it's there's a reason for it, and it's because our brains are so active, and my body needs healing. All the healing when you do training yeah. happens when you're asleep, so you need it. And he always said, put eight hours in. The first thing you should do is put eight hours in your day and then build around that because it's more important than diet and more important than fitness. And a lot of people go, I can do with six. He says he's never, your adults need between seven and nine hours and he's never met an adult yet who can survive on less. What happens is you get ill and you get dementia and all things like that if you, right. don't, if you don't sleep enough. But he said the one of the big problems is for women, guys have it easy because we can go to sleep. Not only do they have the menstrual cycle where their body heats up, you like to be cool when you sleep as a human, but your body heats up in certain periods of the menstrual cycle. But also once they've um, given birth to a child, their bodies are going through amazing things to try and heal themselves. Oh, heal's not right, sorry, to get their body back to- To recover. To, to recover, that's good. That's the better expression. <laughs> and also, um, the, the exhaustion of having to, if the breastfeeding, to constantly feed a child and, and look after a, a child and stuff like that. And, and they believe that lack of sleep can be causing um, postnatal depression. Right. Because a lot of women are going, right, I'm still going to do the washing and the cleaning and the cooking. I'm still going to go out for my, my, my coffee mornings and stuff like that. We're really, really what should happen is go, I need to sleep. I need my body to go back. And I need to. And as humans, we don't do it. So the, the conversation um, went on to our politicians. What we should be doing with politicians is saying, work two hours a day and sleep the rest or, you know, relax because we need you quality time for those two hours. But instead, all Western societies, you look at Barack <coughs> Obama and over here, Thatcher and Blair and, and everybody else and, you know, uh, Bush and Barack Obama and all that lot, they're all been known for not sleeping. Yeah. Uh, Ronald Reagan and Thatcher were famously. Yeah. Um, and they both famously died of dementia, didn't they? I think, I think they, maybe I think they both had dementia and stuff like that. So, so it's like we, we got it the wrong way around. You look at all that lot of Brexit at the moment. I don't know when this is going out, but we're right in the middle of Brexit at the moment. Yeah. They look knackered. 
They are. They're on TV. They, they can't survive. Everyone should go, right, we're taking three or four days out here. You're going to go home and sleep and just stop going on TV and just have a rest and come back and, you know. It's very, very, very true. Let's say um, for the people that want to become business people, entrepreneurs, they're reading a lot of books and stuff. And I, I looked into Michelle Moan. Then if you know her. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> is it Richard Reed? who started Innocence movie. Don't know him. I know and him. they both declare that they only have about three, four, maybe five hours of sleep every single night. Now, how true that is, I don't know, but they're worth a lot of money. Very, very successful people, but both from different parts of the countries and one's a man, one's a female. So then you start looking at it as an entrepreneur thinking, do you know what? I need less sleep. So this goes yeah. back down to the, the social media stuff. You're like, you're, you're pulled into a story and now you think you need to live your life like that. Well, if you listen to, if you read, um, this is great, this because of the contradiction. If you read Tim Ferriss's book, uh, Tours of Titans, he's done two, that, but he interviews lots of entrepreneurs and lots of very successful people. One of the big things they say is don't be busy. If you're busy, you're, un- you're not successful. Busy people are not successful. Busy people are the, are the ones who haven't made it. The ones who have made it are the ones who are just coming. Like Tim Ferriss takes... Is it Tim Ferriss? Yeah, Tim Ferriss, who's, who's very successful. He, I think he takes uh, maybe at least a couple of weeks off every two or three months just to think. I mean, that's just great. But that's, that's a clever guy. He goes, right, I need thinking time now. So but, important. Yeah, I think sleep and I think, I think relaxing and stuff is... So it's, that's, that's an interesting thing, that. We get caught up in that of course. cycle of, of are we, you know, am I working hard enough? I, I definitely... I'm in that where I feel guilty if I'm not doing enough yeah. work. So the culture in gyms now is you heard, heard of the expression beast mode. Everyone's saying beast mode, beast mode. And what that means is obviously give everything, everything you've got, which is actually quite good advice if you're doing it in short bursts. But then people now take that into their life. And what they're doing is they're depri- depriving themselves of eating at the right times, resting at the right times, sleeping. And then that's when they fall into injuries or they you know, become sick, they become a little bit depressed or feel anxiety because they're going too much into beast mode. And again, it goes back down to this whole like education or the tellings of these so-called experts on social media saying, yeah, you need to be beast mode all the time. And it's sometimes far from, from reality, I think. I've interviewed a load of Olympians and um, what's the what last- What about the ski- skier? That was a wicked yeah. podcast episode. She's blind in one eye and 95% blind in the other eye. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Incredible, and she's yeah. a skier. Me- yeah, Mena Fitzpatrick. She's um, MBE, se- seventy miles an hour down a mountain. That is Incredible. insane. Yeah, but I've interview- interviewed a lot of. Uh, what was the last Olympics? What year are we now? So it'd have been two thousand and twelve, two thousand and sixteen, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and um, it, things are moving on so rapidly that when I interviewed them all on Sunday brunch, one of my questions, which I enjoyed doing, is how much rest time do you have? Mm. And majority of their day is rest time um, because they, they've sort of worked out now that it was like, keep exercising. Now you overtrain. It's terrible for you. <clears throat> so they monitor them. They put monitors on them and they're not allowed to leave the house. They've just got to sit there. They've got to rest. They don't want to exhaust their bodies because when they train, they train for the period of time, say two hours a day <clears throat> and one hour in the afternoon, two hours in the morning, one hour. And all the rest of the time they're sleeping. Some of the NBA players are sleeping for something like 10 to 14 hours a night and stuff, you know, because they're having sleeps all the time. There was a footballer recently. Who was that? Who said that he liked sleeping. And it's like that, that, they're deciding that rest is really important for yeah. you. It turns out it is. So it's interesting that 
the whole concept of not having sleep now. But we still think, you know, if you have too much sleep, you're lazy. We've got yeah. to get rid of that thought process. This is it. But, but I learned, sorry, I learned it with my daughters, my um, teenage daughters, because they, but I read about it. They went, started going through a lot of sleeping and they wanted to sleep for 10, 12 hours a day. But their bodies were changing. They were going from a caterpillar to a butterfly. They were, you know, they're, they're, mm. they're, they were growing up. They were becoming adults. They, it's tough. And especially on women because their whole anatomy changes. Yeah. You know? So it's, you know, and they, they start their menstrual cycles and everything else. It, they need to sleep. So I sort of let them lie in all the time. That's what, what you said about like um, when people affiliate, if you're resting, taking some downtime, oh, you're being lazy. And yeah. I think some of the younger generation are kind of in that mindset. Myself being a, let's say a boxer, I've had a, a few 14 fights. I understand that if you don't have rest, you're definitely going to get injured. And really? you're, def- you're definitely going to, f- you're going to become fatigued. Tyson Fury, actually, we're speaking about Joe Rogan. One of the best interviews you've ever heard in your life. I swear, if you've not listened to it, you need to listen to it. I've listened to that one. So when he says, uh, he said to Joe Rogan, he said, I'd rather be undertrained than overtrained. Mm. And the reason being is because when you're fatigued because you've overtrained, he said you can't think. At least when you're undertrained, you're a little bit um, worn out, but then you recover and you can come again. And then you have a short sp- uh, spur and then you need to recover again. But when you're fatigued because of overtraining, you can't. It, you, you're just completely ruined. So I feel that getting the right train um, rest timing is imperative. Mm. Very, very, very important. Mm. You've been a TV personality. Uh, would you regard yourself as like someone that, well, you're clearly famous. I don't know if you regard yourself as that, but as you're walking in, even in here, someone stopped you and said, I love your, your podcast. What is it kind of like to be recognised in the street? Do you, is it something that annoys you sometimes or it's great or... What is it? Uh, in London, you don't get too much. It, but generally, it's nice things people say to you. Um, it's horrible if mixed with alcohol. <laughs> That's just, it's just always horrible. As in the person yeah. is, is, the is intoxicated. If the person's had a few drinks, because they, they come and say such dumb things to you, like, I don't know who you are. But everyone else says you're on TV. It's like, oh, that's so, so why cringy. Are you, why are you talking to me? Then? It's like, <laughs> so you just got to try and be nice to everyone. Um, and then if they're drunk, they're, a lot of people tell you what they think of you. Never particularly nasty, but they tell you where you've gone wrong in your career and stuff. It's, it's so surreal. And then sometimes you get that thing where they just repeat the same thing over and over again. And you feel so obliged just to... just to um, Entertain them almost. Yeah. but But the thing about fame is it gives you the keys to the world it's quite a strange thing to have with with that the fact that people will tell you i mean social media is quite hard when you're on tv because you're told constantly that you're ugly you're old you're crap you're stupid you're any mistake i make oh my god jesus it's picked up on i'm told that i'm offensive constantly because i'll say something which someone thinks is offensive it's just it's just non-stop and it's frustrating um uh, that's that's that side of things, but it does give you the keys, so you could, you know, you could hang with the 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 from royalty to drug dealers. You can do what you want. It's like that strange thing that people will let you in because yeah. because of your. I remember once doing a TV show where I had to go out with um, traffic police, and they followed this car around. They ended up in a um, in an estate, and they pulled the car over, and the kids they were young got out. 
and the police had to go up to them. And then suddenly this gang of people started arriving. All the people, it was a hot day. All the people started coming out of their houses and there was like this like very animosity towards the police going on. And I was going, oh Christ, this is getting a bit leery here. And the police were going, can we have backup please? Because you know, more and more coming out. And they were, even though they didn't know these who these people were in the car, they were like, they didn't like the police. And it was like one of those things and all these people had come out. And then one of them went, it's a bloke of soccer, I am. Yay! <laughs> they forgot about the police. They forgot about yeah. that. And they go, yay! Like that. And I'm like, and they were coming along and then they had a football. They're like, you can play football with us and stuff yeah. like that. And it was like, it was amazing how it just changed because for some reason, it, you know, it has some sort of value. And yeah. I don't know what value it is because I'm no different to anybody else, but... And but sometimes it's perceived that way, which is which is weird. But I've been, I've been, I've interviewed some big people. I've interviewed um, David Beckham. <coughs> I watched two girls walk round a corner, saw David Beckham, and scream because they couldn't believe it and started shaking like that to have a photo. That much effect. And I've interviewed the both. Uh, well, I've interviewed Prince. That'd probably be me if I ever saw him. Really, he's <laughs> no, a nice guy. I interviewed them, um, uh, Prince William as well. And the 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 amount of fuss around. You know, he's a, he's a bloke who was born into the royal family. Nice, yeah, nice fella as, again. But it's it's like the 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 amount of like oh my god, it's Prince William. It's like no, he, he's gonna die. Yeah, <laughs> he's still normal. He's doing the same shit you're doing. And yeah. it's like, but it's this. He's not a lizard though, is he? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't try and peel his skin off. Uh, but yeah, so it's it's interesting. Yeah, celebrities are kind of strange thing. Yeah, it's it's um, it has its benefits and it also has has a lot. There's a lot of boring conversations I've had to have, but I suppose we all do. There's a lot of Lot of, lot of just mindless crap. My um, my my mentor for the podcast in is a guy called Rob Moore. He's got the disruptive entrepreneur. I think he's got. I don't know that one. Quite quite a lot of subscribers in the UK. Wow. Two point two. I'm sort of contradicting what I'm saying here about um, looking at the numbers, but he's got like two point two million subscribers now. Wow, that's amazing. He said to me, I went to one of his events once, and I'd never considered doing podcasting, YouTube, or anything like that. And he said that the benefit of getting an audience to look at you and listen to you is, is that they get to know you without meeting you. And therefore you have different options when you're in their presence. So what he means by that is I was trying to scale up my property company and I said, how do you get investors? He said, start a podcast. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, if you do a podcast and you just come across as you, as like a nice guy, more and more people come towards you and then there's business opportunities off the back end of that. And I said, do you know what? Yeah, I think I could do that because I do a bit of public speaking. I do a bit of sales training for companies and things like that. And it just started happening from that point. So I guess it's a bit like being on TV. You could, if you wanted to, go into different areas because of being on TV. Yeah. Well, though, sorry to, but 2.2, what's he do? Advise people on business? He has a property company called uh, Progressive Property, one of the biggest ones in the UK. And then he has a training company as well. But that's 2.2 million people going, how do I make money? How do I make money? How do I make money? That's, that's what they're tuning in for, right? Well, he interviews people. Um, like About a, how I make money. Not necessarily. <laughs> not necessarily. He's, he's, tra- he's, he's interviewed all kinds of different people, from, yeah, business people, but to athletes, to TV personalities. So, so what we should do, really, is you sit here and go, right, what, what, what is actually going to get the, the viewers, right? If I can teach them how to make money, 
that's you know what's that guy um, moneymarket.com did right. he sell his business for a gazillion pounds or something because it's like how do you save money how do you make money how do you make yeah. money because it's such a prevalent thing in our lives we love it so much it's so important for us yeah oh it's sex you should do it with your shirt off really yeah I'll do that on my, on my next episode <laughs> wait when's your, when's, your ne- when's your next fight uh, hopefully May May so when you're cut up for it when yeah you, when, you, when, like you, when, you, when you've been dragging when the tires with the gum shield in <laughs> when you've been dragging the tires around your next podcast you'll be sitting with your shirt off and then you know then you'll get more you'll attract more females yeah. into it uh, so sex what else sells that's how we should that's how well, we should really be what, thinking why he was just and health yeah definitely how to stay alive yeah tune into my podcast you can win a million quid I'll be naked and I'll teach you how to stay alive mate I think that's some very very sound advice (laughs) but he was just saying to me just be yourself and because people get to know you on on uh, on your podcast they'll eventually have the encouragement to come and meet you text you or whatever that's that's a really interesting thing because when I when I started doing um, I'm good friends with Pixie Woo a YouTube makeup um, artist and uh, she's fantastic she's uh, just such a brilliant person to be around one of the great human beings and she started listening to my podcast when I first started and she went "Mm, it's not you is it and I went why and she goes well it's just kind of things like you really don't you know you never swear yet you do swear a bit in real life like I swore at the beginning of this podcast and stuff not really I'm not really a swearing Mary type of person but I do swear and then there's she said there's some bits of it she goes if you're doing YouTube and and podcasting and stuff people want to meet you they want to see you and meet you so it's really good advice that. So if you try, and when I started my podcast, I started by trying to be a presenter. You know, I'm going to present this podcast because, mm. you know, I've got a skill. I've got to interview someone in six minutes, eight minutes, and I've got to get out the information. I've got to present and I've got to listen to what's going on in my ear and move, maneuver it all around. When you're doing a podcast, it's literally just a chat. So I've got to turn it all off and go, right, I'm just going to talk now. I'm going to talk and listen and interact. And that's what we're doing now. So it's a different, it's a different <clears> skill set, <throat> but I think that's really true. People are tuning in because they, want to see you with your shirt off now they want to see they want to see your personality so that's it that's what they're going to buy into he always uses the term uh, visibility is credibility so if you want to become credible be visible to an audience and get them to to get to know you and like you and therefore opportunities can come off the back end of it whether that is to do with business or whether that's just to have a new friend or a bigger network it doesn't really matter but if you're putting a message out there people get to to get to know you Right. Which I think is quite I'll important. Listen to, I'll listen to him. I'll see what it does. Rob the, Moore. Rob Moore. What's a, what's a good podcast to listen to? Oh, he's interviewed so many people. Really? Um, all business people? No, it's all from all different things. He's interviewed Frank Bruno. He spoke about mental health with him. Who else has he interviewed? He's interviewed um, Hunter, Sir Hunter, who was the Scottish business person. Forgot his first name. Um, he's interviewed... Who else has he interviewed? Oh, the best one is... Uh, Eddie Hearn's dad Barry Hearn you know who he is don't you have you ever met him interviewed him I've never interviewed him I think I've met him he's an incredible guy is he really got some very wise words really is good yeah his that podcast was about that just over an hour but I got a lot of value out of that that. really really good Um, Tim thank you for coming down here today I know you're a busy man I always leave my podcast with this little catchphrase saying, which is be happy, never content. And the reason why I say that to my audience is because I think being, being happy, you can't always be happy, but generally speaking, you can, um, it's like, you know, like a, like a more of a mental state, like try and be happy most of the time, but never content means for me about having these goals in the future, something to look forward to, as we mentioned before, 
if I were to say, what's your own interpretation of be happy, never content, what would you, what would you say that is? What, what my catchphrase to life is? Be or, happy, never content. If I said that to you, what is your interpretation of that? I'm not sure I agree with it. Yeah, okay, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> um, be happy, never content. Uh, can I explain what it means? If you're happy... So be happy, be, be, be happy, happy, be happy, never content. I know it sounds so, quite conflicting. So be happy, but make sure that you're always striving for something else. So happiness for me isn't like in if like someone someone said to me once, I'm going to move to Australia, literally. Yeah. Right? I said, why? It was someone I went to school with. I went, he went, well, I went why? Why are you going suddenly going to Australia? Because I'm not happy. I hate the fucking country. It's yeah. going down the pan. Yeah. Uh, Australia's got, got it right. I went, all right. He ended up back here a few years ago, right? Right. And I learned quite a few valuable lessons from that point and also other people I've met, which is they believe happiness is, is somewhere else. I feel that you can be happy, not all the time, but generally speaking, a lot of the time. But never content means have goals, have plans where you can look forward to different occasions. So that means never content, which is like looking at to raising the game, like going up another level, like fitness or boxing. I don't want to stay at one level. I want to go to another level, then another level. Business, another level, another level. With my family, I want to get to another level. I don't want to have one kid. I want to have a few. So do, do, do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, but then that's a, life's a fight. It is. It is. I suppose the one one thing is this: there is no finishing line in life. So every day you get up, there is a, there is a, uh, for want of a better word, sort of using where you're coming from. There, there's there's a battle to be had every day. There's a challenge, and so there's never there's never a finish line. There's never people always envisage that day where you're going to lie on the beach and go, yay! Yeah, that, 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 that doesn't happen. So there's never every day you get up and you have to live. And I think that's, that's the important aspect of life. The, the hardest lesson to learn in life is that you're responsible for your own life. And it's a very hard lesson to learn. And most people, not most people, some people never learn that lesson that, that stop blaming everyone else. Mm. Being a victim, yeah. Well, yeah, or even if you're in a relationship, stop expecting that person to make your life better, make your life great. Because you're responsible for your life. You're responsible for what goes in your mouth. You're responsible for what you see. I'm a big believer in self, self-censorship at the moment. Oh, my God. I'm just, I'm really working on this idea. I work at, explain what you mean by that. I work, I work on a lot of ideas. And the, and the idea is that we, we want to fill our, we get excitement. When we look at our phones, we get real buzz and excitement out of um, refreshing, refreshing. There's another thing. There's another thing. Da, da, da. But we're also doing that with, with our media especially entertainment so we're doing the ted bundy diaries the madeline mccann something or other or we're putting on the news and watching some horrific thing happening down here or there's a, a like a, a i don't go onto facebook but there's a, a facebook video of um animals being mistreated or something like that. and it's like jesus we're being force fed this stuff into our brains constantly we're feeling empathy uh, you, you know, if we've got a barrel of empathy, it's we must be on the bottom rung of it constantly. We, yeah. It's exhausting for us just to constantly be put through these emotions, and I think we need a rest from it all. So I'm, I, but I don't know this. I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm working on this theory. So I've, I've stopped watching the news constantly because, like, if something, 
if there's a terrible weather event happening somewhere in the world, I can't do anything about it. Mm. And I can't keep digging money out and going, there you go. Like, I yeah. can't keep doing it. So I'd rather just go, okay, I can't deal with that at the moment. So I don't want to suck it all in. So self-censorship, I think, is, is underrated. Putting yourself through this misery constantly of trying to sort out everything in the world. Um, yeah, so... I've lost. Oh yeah. So what? Everything which is going into you. I think. I think you're responsible for that. And I think. I think that's the that, that that's a tough lesson to learn because uh, it's a lot easier to blame somebody else for your problems. Taking full to, ownership and, and taking full ownership is so important. How I work that into your happy but not content. I don't know because I do. I get what you mean. I'm not sure I agree with it though. That's is that a right. problem. No, I, I, I like I like controversial conversations sometimes, and uh, when I'm, someone doesn't agree, it's great. I'm rethinking everything all the time. I go from I go from one minute going, going like it's just nice to do nothing and just be and just in the moment. To the next minute, I'm listening to um, David. Do you know David Goggins? Yes. So the next minute, I'm listening to David Goggins, who goes, "It's a fight. Get out there, do it. Push yourself. Push yourself." Which is what you're sort of saying. Push yourself. Push yourself. Yeah. And I'm going. That's what we got to do. We got to push ourselves. And then so you got Goggins there, and you've got sort of I don't know um, the Dalai Lama there, and it's like, where am I on this on this scale of things? So every day I'm every day every week I'm rethinking everything about life, and and I thoroughly enjoy it. I don't have the solutions. I've got all the problems, but none of the solutions. Wiss, <laughs> <laughs> it's just about having that balance, isn't it? Sometimes you need to be pushing yourself, and then other times you need to be. More in the moment, be with your family and just completely relax and chill out, basically, I think. Yeah, I think, I think that the big thing to do is wake up every day and question, I'm going to swear again here, question the shit about everything and go, have I got this right? Whatever it is, is this, is this right? And as I say, I, I've completely changed my mind on drug reform, drug reform. I've completely changed my mind on death. And what we should be doing with that. I've changed my mind on so many different things. And I think don't get stuck in your way. Every day wake up and go, are we doing this right? Is this is this right? Is this the way we should be doing it? Is the and question it and or don't. Just <laughs> just watch Netflix. Watch Netflix, guys. <laughs> on that note, thank you, Tim. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Nice one.